0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Valley Talks. My name is Sylvia Gorajek and today I'm super excited to welcome Russ Huddleston, CEO and co-founder of DocSend, an analytics tool that tracks viewership data after sending documents. Earlier this year, DocSend raised over $11 million in the new funding for their business. Great to have you here, Russ, today.
1: Great. Thanks for having me on the show, Sylvia.
0: Uh, Russ, you had a one startup before that got acquired by Facebook. And then you were working at Facebook as a product manager. So we want to talk about this for sure as well. Great. Um, But first of all, can you tell me more about how Docsend works?
1: Sure. Um, So Docsend as a product is actually a software that helps sales and marketing teams be on the same page together. And it helps them understand what collateral, what proposals are actually working in the sales process. And it helps everyone do their jobs more effectively. It's not what we started with, but it's where we're at now with the product.
0: Oh, you started with something different?
1: Uh, well, when we started Docsend uh, over three years ago, uh, I started it with two co-founders, um, two friends I'd also worked with before, uh, Dave and Tony. And the initial idea was that sending documents right now is just as a PDF. The PDF has been around since 1993, like there's got to be a better way to do that. And so it was just a nice, easy way to send and track documents. And from there, we saw where it had, you know, people had interest in it. And then we just started building the larger, larger product around that.
0: So it's, it tracks data of viewership of these documents. And this data is visible for the senders,
1: That's right. right. Yep.
0: Um, Were you at any point maybe a little afraid that, you know, whether this will catch up, whether people will, you know, switch from the standard PDFs to something new like this? Because this is a big difference, Right.
1: Yeah, so I worked at Dropbox in 2010 and there were 15 of us there and we came out with the sharing model or the schmodel and there are two parts to it, one we could I could share a folder with you, we can collaborate on stuff in there or the other option is I could just send you links to stuff um, and it was pretty confusing. I think it's actually still kind of confusing and people really want to have two separate systems so we were just taking that link sending model and making it better because even, even now, many people will just send a PDF rather than sending a link in Dropbox. It's, it's kind of hard to find and get to. Um, so there really aren't any other uh, alternatives besides Docsend that are mm-hmm. as easy. That's why we still see the PDF have the biggest share for this use case.
0: Yeah, how about your competition? Is there a lot in, on the market?
1: Probably the biggest competitor we have right now, at least one we see in the market the most, is a company called ClearSlide, also based here in San Francisco, uh, a few years ahead of us. Um, it's not a company we plan to compete with, but because of the way people were using our product, and mm-hmm. ended up colliding with them. Uh, we run into Box, Dropbox, Drive all the time, mm-hmm. but we think of them as the collaboration and creation layer, and then we're really the sending and the repository for all your production-ready content. So we end up collaborating with them and not really competing with them.
0: So summarizing how DocSend works, I have a document, let's say a pitch deck. Mm -hmm. which probably is most popular, (laughs) right, used um, in Dachshund platform, or no?
1: That's where we started, so that's how Dachshund got its start, was people just sending around Mm -hmm. their pitch decks. And so the problem there is you don't know which investor actually cares, you don't want them forwarding it onto your competition, uh, and you want to be able to update it at any time or retract it at any time. So with Dachshund, everyone gets their own unique link, and then you can see how long they look at each page, who they forward it to, like where it's going a really useful dashboard of that data. And then you can control access after, if they did, decide not to invest, you can revoke access to the document all from one place. Mm-hmm. So it works really well for the for the fundraising use case.
0: And are the receivers really eager to use it to give some data about how they are viewing the documents? Did you have any problems with like, you know, any, any problems with people that would not really want to use it when they are yeah, viewing the documents? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I actually kind of think of that us having two businesses, one is. Like, well fundraising is like a pretty small use case for us that's where we started but sales is the much bigger one in the sales use case there are no concerns on the other end because you're just in a you're in a hurry dockson all white labeled so you don't even know the Doxon's powering the document viewer oh. um, and you know there the relationship there is one where they don't care they just want the white paper they want the proposal they want that asset uh, in the fundraising use case if you go check Twitter there's a lot of, a lot of controversy because venture capitalists want the local copy they want to have all the control mm-hmm. and the entrepreneur wants to keep control. They want to make sure that it doesn't get forwarded to the competition. They want to know who cares. Uh, And so there's a bit of tension there, but actually the best founders use Docsend because they realize that it's the investor's job to read this material. And it really just gets you to the meeting. They read the deck and if they like it enough they'll meet you in person. That's where the real decision happens. So people have gotten used to it and uh, people have kind of agreed that it's a model that makes sense.
0: How many people are using Docsend right now?
1: Oh, uh, I don't think we've never released that actual number. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tens of thousands of companies are using Docs and we always think of things in terms of it's the company, not the individual, because uh, getting into a new company is exciting because then it can expand from there. So we always have a company count. That's the thing we look at.
0: Um, since this is your second startup, um, I'm sure that you were, you know, making wiser decisions at some points, you know, <laughs> right? Because you learned from things from your previous one. Um, and. Also, I know that you are putting a lot of emphasis on measurements of the, you know, how people are using it. Looking at your your users, mm-hmm. um, can you talk a little more about this? How are you? Um, how are you imp- implementing this into your own startup?
1: Sure. Yeah, it, it's actually interesting to compare and contrast Pursuit and Docsend mm-hmm. and where we're at. So for Pursuit, uh, also had uh, two co-founders. Um, really awesome engineers. Uh, I'm a software engineer by background as well. And for Pursuit, we built our first version. We got maybe 45 companies signed up, a few thousand users for it. And we just kind of looked at what was happening. And it wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't what we expected. And so the numbers didn't quite line up in terms of what we wanted to see. Then we'd go talk to, in, like interview users and ask them what they were thinking. And we basically realized that our theory wasn't quite what we thought it would be. And so it was informed by numbers and anecdotal interviews, like both of those things together.
0: What did Pursuit do?
1: Pursuit was a social referral network. So we would sell to HR departments and our software would help them manage their referral programs. Because for many companies, referrals are a major source of new mm-hmm. talent, and right now they have they still have really no idea who's referring people or like where the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of other tools these days that help with this affiliate sort of thing.
0: marketing, this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah I
1: know. But for like the referral things, mm-hmm. um, so like Greenhouse is a company that does some stuff there. There's a whole new generation of uh, applicant tracking systems that have some functionality around this, uh, but this was back in 2011, so it was a little while ago. Mm-hmm. But that was. Uh, it was a valid idea but the product didn't behave like we wanted it to which is why we ended up taking the offer uh, from Facebook. Yes and,
0: and... I still want to get there.
1: Okay but then if I compare that to Docsend so at that point in time with Docsend we built the first version of the product we gave it away to a bunch of companies and we saw what they did with it and they really liked it mm-hmm. so in terms of the engagement metri- metrics we look for it's whenever they send content we need them to do it in Docsend and so uh, people, some people send out stuff every day, some people send out stuff once a week, once a month. As long as whenever they send out content they use Docsend, we feel very happy with that. Um, and so we think of things as unique users who are sending out content and getting this feedback. And then when we go talk to them about it they have a referral score that's through the roof. They really like it, and they, they tell everyone else about it.
0: So this time you made a first version of the product, not really spending too much time of extra features and completing the product. That's right, probably. Yeah. And you started, um, you know, having some customers that would be using it. More. It was it a beta version or was it already? We called it a
1: beta version. Although one of the things we learned immediately was that for anyone in a B2B context, sending across a document, it has to work all the time. Mm -hmm. So even our beta version had to be rock solid. It could never be down. So we convinced some people we knew pretty well, like, hey, do you want to try to use this instead of sending off your PDFs? And uh, just kind of got them to use it for free and then interviewed them about their experience and how they felt about it. Um, Would you
0: interview them in person, Uh, like call them or would you send them surveys?
1: uh, We would interview them over the phone or Mm -hmm. in person. Yeah. Any anything to try to really get a, a solid grasp on why they would or wouldn't use our service. How many
0: of them did you feel like you want you have to talk about the feedback
1: with? Uh, I think for the first version, it was only like twenty or thirty mm-hmm. um, different uh, companies that we that we interviewed and had used the product. Uh, and so when we raised our seed round, that was actually the data that we had. We had a relatively small set of companies that had used Oxen and had testimonials to say that. This was really promising and really useful for them.
0: Mm-hmm. How long did it take for you to build uh, this first beta version?
1: Uh, it took us maybe six months to, to do that.
0: And you were or were you working somewhere at that point or were you already full-time no. involved in, in this?
1: The full-time involved in this, that's one of the things I think is really hard. It's to have a full-time job and do a startup. Mm-hmm. Another thing that can be a big problem is Uh, having co-founders who are as committed as you are and if people have jobs it's really hard to know and especially if you're splitting up equity and you're making big decisions like it's a big deal so uh, when Dave Tony and I started Docsend we all did it full-time and we actually all put money into just a shared bucket so we basically were our own like initial funding Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know we were open about our finances with each other just knowing that we all had you know over a year to just not make any money and we were happy with that. We wouldn't have to stress about it.
0: How much did you, how much money did you need at that point in the beginning for these six months?
1: It was mostly just our own labor. Mm -hmm. So I did all of our first design and we just kinda, we we were cheap about everything. We were really, the MVP is the thing that just needs to work and the thing that was most important in our case was just it needed to be a very solid product from an engineering perspective uh, and that's what we do so we were able to provide that which is the most expensive part of it so i think we got the rest of it put up for like 40 forty thousand or mm-hmm. something um like all told all expenses which is nothing like our own labor would have been much more expensive yeah than that. of course
0: you're saying that it is really important to know that you're working on something that people want yeah so is this how you realize this is something that people want with this beta version and those 20 testimonials that you had mm-hmm. or Do you think you would need more?
1: No, I would rather have a smaller number Mm -hmm. of people who give you a higher signal. Because what I found with Pursuit was that it made sense in theory. And even like we got people to be sold on the value prop. But then when we really interviewed them later about the usage of it, the devil's in the details and it wasn't quite there. And so for Doc said, I really didn't want to have that happen again. Uh, So that's why a smaller number of people we just had a much deeper understanding of.
0: And there was just three of you
1: that's right mm-hmm. during
0: the beta process hmm so you were building this product too as an engineer right? that's right
1: yep yeah so you kind of have to you know the split brain you're doing a whole bunch of jobs wearing all the different hats
0: for sure and soon you had to start raising money hmm so this is also something that you had to focus on and build the product at the same time when did you start hiring people
1: we started hiring people after we raised our seed round so we raised 1.7 million uh, in soft tech led that round and that was um, what was that? It was a little over six months after we uh, started, so it kind of coincided mm-hmm. with very much. Having the beta, getting some feedback, and then going out and raising that raising that money.
0: Did you use some of your contacts from your previous startup or or contacts that you had for this seed um, round, or was it a totally new stage for you that you were reaching out to people that you wouldn't know to raise the money?
1: Some of them were new people, but many of them were people I already had a connection to, and. It makes such a huge difference if you're a known quantity to people. And especially if you can go back and say, hey, I contacted you about my last startup you didn't invest in. Uh, we sold that to Facebook, I'm starting another one. They're like, oh, I'll take, I'll take that meeting. Sure, Like you've kept in touch and are doing something again now. Uh, and so that really helped open the doors.
0: Do you feel like um, you could use some contacts from your previous startup or contacts that you had for this seed round? Or was it totally new stage for you and you were reaching out to new people that you didn't know?
1: No, many of them were the same Uh, and so I had a list from when I had done fundraising for Pursuit and I went back to a lot of the people on that list again and um, SoftTech was actually a company I would gotten in touch with uh, for Pursuit uh, Mm -hmm. but they didn't invest in in that one but when I reached out again uh, to Jeff, he uh, put me in in touch with one of his colleagues and that's how we got the process kicked off there.
0: Yeah, and so you called and said, hey I sold my previous startup to Facebook, do you want to invest in the new one, right?
1: Yeah, and I don't, I mean, it was a talent acquisition, so it's not like, oh, we IPO'd mm. or something. But uh, just having been in touch with them before and being a known quantity it just really helps open doors.
0: Tell me about a little more about raising the last round. Um, you raised in this last round a around $8 million. Yep. Uh, how long did it last? Was it a full-time involvement for you to, to do this? Um, what are the best tips that you could share about, uh, you know, raising this money? Sure.
1: Um, well, let me compare and contrast like three different fundraising examples, mm-hmm. experiences. I've had the first one was with pursuit Our seed round for Docs and then our series a for Docsend. So for pursuit when we went out to raise money It took me forever It took me like four or five months of running around and I felt like I wasn't making a lot of progress mm-hmm. And even though we got a small seed round together I kind of felt like in many cases people were just giving it to me because they're like well I like you you seem like a smart guy, but like, I don't really you know it, I just felt like I wasn't doing a good job and I was wasting a lot of time and energy. And I've talked to other entrepreneurs who feel the same. And so we, we got a small seed round put together for for pursuits like 500,000, but it was, it was not fun. So for Docsend, when we did the same thing with the seed round, um, what I did was, I lined up everybody in a two week window. Mm. And so what I said was, you know what, I don't wanna go spend four months fundraising if it's not gonna work. Like we've got enough money personally that we can stop work, uh, make some more progress and try again later, rather than just wasting a whole bunch of time. So mm-hmm. I set up as many meetings as I could in a two week window. And I basically told everyone the same thing. Like we're looking for a lead investor. If you're interested, please give us terms. And like that was it. And so SoftTech was the first firm that came back and they're like, here's a term sheet. And I was like, wow. And that was like at the beginning of the third week. Uh, and so from a time efficiency standpoint, like that worked out really well. And in retrospect, it's because there was kind of a, like a, it felt like we had some momentum that we were making. People mm-hmm. talk to each other, and they're like, "Wow, Doxan has basically talked to everybody in a two-week window. Like someone is going to invest in this, and like who's going to move first and do it." Uh-huh. Uh, so I think I think that helped us. And then for the Series A round, um, I had kept in touch with August, and they were someone we had pitched for the seed round, but they said it was too early. And then they had just. The number of docs and links that they were getting just kept going up and up. Uh, So they would see our product, they were users of our product, and then I would check in with them uh, every once in a while, and I really liked the team there. Um, They'd actually interviewed me while I was at Facebook and thinking about what I wanted to do afterwards. And so then at a certain point in time, uh, Howard Hartenbaum, the partner who's on our board now. And came to me and said, we, we, would, we would be interested to invest. <laughs> I was like, well, we're not really fundraising right now. We're probably going to do that you know, next year sometime. We've got plenty of money. He's like, no, no, I, I would like to invest. Are you open to that? And I was like, oh, oh well, um, sure, I guess so. So we actually went right in and pitched their partner meeting. And so I had to put together a pitch deck just for them. Uh, we didn't send it to anyone else. We went in and pitched just them. And then they came back and actually uh, were open about, like, what terms do you think are fair? for where you are. Because we're, uh, even eight million for them is, they have a 500 $500 million dollar fund, so it'd be a smaller smaller check for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point in time, we didn't have a ton of metrics to go off of either. So they were really just, what do you think would be fair? Um, So we kind of negotiated against ourselves and came up with what we thought would be a fair series A from then. And um, yeah, luckily we have enough market data uh, that uh, I I was able to put together the terms that I would have wanted if I had gone off and spent a whole bunch of time in the fundraising process. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's how it worked out. So So
0: you mainly raised from them?
1: August Capital led the round. Mm -hmm. And then a number of our seed investors uh, participated and used their pro rava.
0: Why do you think they wanted to invest at exactly this point?
1: Um, I think for them, they had enough time to build some conviction around our team Mm -hmm. and around the problem space that we were going after. And it's true that the PDF is like, why are we sending PDFs, especially in a business context, Mm -hmm. like someone is going to improve on that workflow. And for them uh, in the past, for a lot of like firms, the the trouble is if it becomes a really competitive bidding process, it becomes way too expensive and they might even miss out on the deal. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's all about like, well, we've already done our diligence. No one else has, so we would like to invest now. Mm -hmm. And as the entrepreneur, you're like, well, you know, they might think it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to get like a huge bidded round later, which I don't even necessarily think is the right thing to go with. Um, But from my perspective, like, wow, we could save on the process. And I really like them as a firm. And I think that's the most important thing. So we're really excited just to have them on board and work with them.
0: How long was it after the seed round?
1: Um, it was, oh, it was like a year and, y- something? Yeah, year and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And why do you think that bidding a situation is not the best uh, for founders? Mm-hmm.
1: I've talked to a number of friends and even people I've just met through Docsend, uh, founders, and they have a variety of different stories mm-hmm. and the people who take m- money with just the best terms are sometimes on the, the wrong page. Uh, Jeff uh, Busgang had an interesting blog post about uh, ins- investor-entrepreneur uh, alignment. Mm-hmm. And you really want to make sure that everyone's focused on the right stuff.
0: Yeah, but if it's a bidding situation, don't you have a choice also with whom you want to go?
1: Uh, it's it's true that, yeah, you could use the bidding to like mm-hmm. increase the prices. And amongst the set of options you have, yeah. pick the one that you think is the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. The problem is people don't often do that. Mm. So... Um, but, but yes, that could be the, the best of both worlds. Often when you're in that competitive bidding process, it takes a lot of time to keep track of everybody. Um, and you don't have as much time to get to know specific and individual investors that you, you wanna work with. So Josh Reeves, uh, Zen, Zen Payroll, has had a, a very different approach as well, where he's always gotten to know the investors ahead of time and it has, hasn't had it be you know, the open massive bidding thing, but uh, much more of a relationship-based approach to it.
0: I still want to talk a little more about how you got your users and customers. And so do you remember how you got your first uh, paid customer for Docsend?
1: <laughs> uh, I think I think the first paid customer uh, was actually a bottle of whiskey that we got. Was it? <laughs> Isn't
0: it the best way to do it? Like, yeah. Almost, you know, yeah. with respect to anything. I think uh, right?
1: uh, uh, Nick Edwards at uh, Boom Train, he had um, he'd used Docsend to uh, raise uh, his first round of capital. Um, and was so thankful that they came over to the office and gave us a bottle of whiskey. I was like, wow, that's great, thanks. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if that if that really counts. We kept it unpaid for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then when we when you finally- For how long? Re- oh, uh, almost two, two years. Mm. The first two years were unpaid for Doxin. So you
0: were living off the funding that you had?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm yep um it's still a relatively small team um, but how yet, many people uh, 16 full-time people um, which given you know the where we're at overall is like pretty pretty interesting and exciting but it, it took a long time and to answer your question about mm-hmm. how do we get those first users it was via word of mouth uh, so the benefit to sitting down and like really understanding how people are using your product is that and they really like it, they'll Mm -hmm. just tell other people about it. Mm. So we had a lot of word of mouth, people just hanging out and talking to other people. And so, all of our inbound traffic was just people typing in docs.com and signing up, kind of like by magic.
0: Did you have any growth strategy that you had in mind, aside of referrals, right? Because you probably have to come up with something and did you try any (laughs) other, (laughs) at least for investors, (laughs) I I didn't want to add that. but. did you try any other growth strategies and what also worked for you aside of just uh, those referrals?
1: Yeah, well, we, we actually spent a while, like, could we spend money on marketing? Like, let's try spending a bunch of, you know, ad dollars. Um, but what Docsend does isn't a known category, so people aren't necessarily searching for it. Mm-hmm. They're really happy when they start using it, but no one's really searching for, like, document tracking isn't, like, a big... It's not a big search How mm-hmm. to update things after I sent them isn't yeah. like a big search term. No. So um, we tried uh, some content marketing as well, um, but none of it like moved the needle relative to word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So another reason we raised our series A was to basically go from word of mouth spread to direct outbound sales spread. So I accidentally sold a couple of larger companies in that I say accident, like they started using it a bit, and then I you know, went and talked to them, and then you know, they'd roll it out across you know like a hundred to hundred users. Mm-hmm. I'm Like wow, that's that's a lot of people, and we charge them. <laughs> Those are the people where we, we really make our business. So um, you charge
0: of how many people are also viewing the document?
1: A, no, just per user per month, like per sender per mm-hmm. month. Um, so and
0: yeah. if the company has a lot of employees mm-hmm. and they want to have all of them use Docsend. Mm -hmm. They pay per each employee.
1: Per employee per month, yep. Yeah, so it's just typical SaaS revenue. It Mm -hmm. it scales pretty well and people like it because it's only the people who are sending documents where they have to pay for Docsend for them. Uh, So if you've got a sales team of 50 people, the productivity gain you get from having Docsend uh, used across all of them, it's pretty easy to walk them through the ROI Mm -hmm. uh, as well as for the marketing team understanding what's being used, what's not being used, like what's working or not. but those companies aren't ones where word of mouth gets them to come to DocSend. We actually have to go to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do that too? Mm-hmm. We do that too now, yeah. So we have uh, three account executives at DocSend now and we're hiring out uh, an outbound uh, business development team as well. And so, you know, it, it's essentially this, this the learnings from the first part of the business have fueled kind of where we're going with the second half. Mm-hmm. And the people like the same product but the way they adopt the product is, is different.
0: Um, I want to move a little more back to your past and to talk about Pursuit, but also um, when it comes to where you're from. You were born in San Francisco and <laughs> yeah. then you quickly left when you were a couple <laughs> months old. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And then you came back. Um, so tell me, why did you come back over here and you know how it all happened?
1: <laughs> uh, my family was in the military, so I was, I was born at the military hospital in the Presidio. But then, yeah, we, we moved away after a couple months. I was in Berlin, uh, and then Denver, and then South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And then I made my way back out to California to go to Stanford for undergrad. So I studied computer engineering for undergrad and computer science for master's. And I remember at the time deciding like what to study, and just being at Stanford and looking around. The thought I had at the time was, you know, in the late 1800s, the railroad was pretty exciting. Like, that was the thing that was like changing everything. Uh, and it's like in in today's world, the internet is that thing. It's mm-hmm. it's the new mm-hmm. railroad. So I was like, I want just want to be a part of this. Um, so studied computer science, and I'm still here in San Francisco, just because this is there's just so many tech companies here. This mm-hmm. is where a lot of innovation happens. And then a lot of the people that we hired first at Docsend were also Stanford alums who just happened to be in the area. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's just where we are.
0: You live in SF right now, or in the Valley?
1: In San Francisco.
0: Mm-hmm. And so. The pursuit uh, happened uh, right after you've graduated from Stanford? Or it actually during happened,
1: the... it happened while I was at Harvard Business School. Mm. So I had, uh, so my uh, comment about it's better to be full-time, <laughs> it's really, like, uh, Harvard Business School is a great experience, but, and starting a company while you're in business school, I think makes a lot of sense, but it is much nicer to be able to just focus on one thing, just starting your company. So
0: you went to Harvard Business School after uh, Stanford?
1: Yes, yep. I
0: see, and so you got acquired by Facebook um, just around like a year after you founded uh, Pursuit, mm-hmm. which is super short time, right? I don't know. Uh,
1: there are different levels of acquisition. Mm-hmm. so when someone says, my company was acquired, it's like, well, what, is that, what does that mean? Yeah. And kind of the lowest level of acquisition you can get is basically a talent acquisition, which is still a, um, a really big compliment to you. Because mm-hmm. basically, what, ha, Facebook is one of our first customers for Pursuit, and they liked us, they liked the technology, and they wanted us to come work on something specific for them. And so we also went and talked to LinkedIn who liked what we were doing and wanted us to work on something specific for them. So for some of these companies, it's, it's hard to find people who are really passionate and really knowledgeable about certain specific problems that you're trying to solve and problems that are really important to the company overall. Mm-hmm. So in those scenarios, that's where a talent acquisition happens and it, and it makes sense. And typically they will uh, pay off all your debt, they'll take care of all your bills and they'll basically allow you to, to get out of it and work at their company, and then they're typically motivated to put most of the payout from the acquisition in uh, equity over a period of time. So they'll still try to put it into like a four-year equity vest. Mm. Um,
0: so they would offer you some amount, but they would be paying it...
1: They're, they're paying for you as people, so they really want the payout to be over as long a period of time as possible because they want you to stay at the company exactly, for a long period yeah. of time. And that's a little different than if it's a technology acquisition, which happens... Not all that much, but yeah, you, know, you still need a team to come with that technology, mm-hmm. um, or you know, like the full business acquisition where they're, you know, it's a LinkedIn was a, a full business that Microsoft was acquiring. They're going to keep them separate, keep them running. Um, so anyway, we, yeah, we were at the, the talent level.
0: And how did you get Facebook as a customer? Did you just cold email them or did you know some people there?
1: We knew some people there, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think for any startup you have, I mean, you want to leverage your own network yeah. at first. So if you're solving a problem and people you already know have that problem, like they're going to be the ones to listen to you you know, mm-hmm. first. And so we went to Facebook. Facebook did a ton of referrals. They still do a ton of referrals. Actually, one of the things we did after we got there is we revamped their internal referral system. Uh, so I think they, they, they really... It was way worth it for them just from the efficiencies they got with their referrals, like hiring that quickly and the old system they had just didn't work very yeah. well. So they needed to do something about that. <laughs> and did
0: you work on it for for a period of time?
1: I was the product manager for the Pages team.
0: Yes, so that was Pages, so that was different from...
1: So we were supposed to build a LinkedIn competitor. Mm-hmm. They won, That's what they were interested in doing at that point in time um, and then... I they... kind
0: of remember that moment. <laughs> They really put a lot of pressure on adding your, you know, job um, experience and, and education and, like, you know, I saw this happening in Facebook that they were w- mm-hmm. kind of becoming LinkedIn, Yeah. at least starting to become.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- that was the direction they took a really hard look at and they even, you know, hired up getting people to work on that mm-hmm. and then uh, decided that it wouldn't, wouldn't be the right direction for the company. Mm-hmm. So the closest thing for me to work on was Pages, which was a really fun product to work on. Uh, Just getting uh, the business representation on Facebook to be accurate and have it make sense. And the ad team had basically taken the pages product away from the profile team and said this is important to ads, so we need to invest in this. And so then we we built up a team around that.
0: And you were not working at Facebook for those four years, were you?
1: I was working there for about a year and a half.
0: So how did it it end up when it comes to this uh, talent acquisition agreement?
1: I left a bunch of money on the table. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well,
0: but you vested like the first year?
1: Yeah, I invested the first year and a half of it.
0: So it, it works in a way that they offer you some money, but it really vests over those four years. They That's don't pay right. you pretty much anything at the beginning, right?
1: Uh, there's almost always a one-year cliff mm-hmm. for really any uh, agreement. Yeah.
0: yeah, so do you think that you did the right thing with the Facebook acquisition or do you, would you do it differently right now?
1: Oh, no, that was definitely the right thing. Yeah, um, it, was, it was awesome as an experience just to get, like as you were saying, is the second time around, is it easier? Like, yeah, it's a lot easier the second time around. Mm-hmm. For Pursuit, I'm really glad we looked at the numbers because we probably could have worked on it for another year or two, but I think unless we really changed the whole product around, I don't think it was going to work. So using that and going to Facebook for a period of time, um, one of my co-founders is still there. Uh, Lewis Eisenberg and he is is, he?
0: What is he doing there?
1: uh, He's an engineering manager um, and no, he's had a huge impact on the company. He Mm -hmm. really loves it. Um, So I think it was definitely the right thing for us at that point in time. Um, And I I left simply because Dave and Tony, my current co-founders, they wanted to leave and start something Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to work with them. So it was a really hard decision between the two, but it's, it's not very often where people you really respect and admire are open to starting something with you. So if you wanted to start a company tomorrow, finding co-founders is the biggest first challenge you have. So for me, I was like, I got to do this and I, I can only do this now.
0: How did it feel uh, working at Facebook? Was it fun? Was it, um, you know, was it something that you would continue doing if not this uh, startup, the new startup opportunity?
1: Yeah, working at a big company is so different than yeah. working at a, a small sure. company. And the larger the company, the more variance there is amongst teams mm-hmm. that are there. So. Um, I mean it's like working at Microsoft what's that like well it's it's so big it really varies is the answer Mm -hmm. Facebook was relatively small then where it is now but there still was a lot of variance amongst teams and the uh, ads team was awesome to be part of Made a lot of really good connections with people the hours were really long it wasn't like a cushy job by any means Mm -hmm. Uh, and the content that I got to work on was also also really really interesting so now on the whole it was it was a great experience and I, I think Starting a company is fun and interesting, but you can have a great career at a big company too.
0: I know how it feels <laughs> <laughs> too. Sometimes there are some dilemmas, you okay. know, because the, the the day is only twenty four
1: hours long, yeah. right? Uh, I remember yeah. at Facebook at one point uh, being the product manager for the Pages team, you know, and responsible for it making sense of the product. But Facebook is a global company, and in you know two thousand and eleven you know, is so like kind of small and. I realized I didn't know what any of our users in other countries were doing. So I was just said like, I'm gonna go fly around the world and go talk to different customers of Facebook to see why are they using pages? And <laughs> like, what do they want out of it? And so that's a cool thing you can do at a big company where they have the user base that you can just go yeah. fly to Japan. And, and all the
0: assets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: all the resources of the company. Yeah. So yeah, there are definite uh, benefits. Did you do that? Yeah, I just I flew around to, to Asia um, interviewing mm-hmm. customers. What
0: did you learn? about Pages oh, then?
1: Um, I learned a, a lot of stuff. Like
0: surprising things that you wouldn't think of.
1: Uh, one very large uh, customer out of China, that I won't name, had a really big problem and they were really mad at Pages because it just wasn't working, it didn't have the controls they needed and so I dug into the problem in like an hour long interview and basically realized that this person who was at the head of, uh, at the corporate level uh, for marketing had one of the country divisions basically go rogue and change the password to their Facebook page and then mm-hmm. was just posting all their own content and so the corporate level was really mad at Facebook for letting them do this but it's like well mm-hmm. that's it's not our problem that's that's yeah. your problem uh, and but understanding that if, if they think that it's our problem then they're the ones spending money on us then it, it might actually be our problem so um, yeah the, a bunch of conversations like that happened that were very illuminating
0: I see do you see any acquisitions coming for a doccent or would you accept any if they were happening soon uh, it's
1: it's not a it's not something that's worth thinking about mm-hmm. I think is the the way I would recommend it to most startups um, I, I guess there are examples of companies that are built to be acquired and that's part of their strategy I think the only real strategy uh, as a startup is to build a sustainable business so mm-hmm. like we're building a high-growth like sustainable very profitable business and that's really fun to do um, I would be I'd be really disappointed for any amount of money to get acquired and have what Doxon does be shut down because mm-hmm. I have a, a just a ton of pride in the work we've done and the product we have and the customers who love what we do and just the market potential for it so uh, yeah it's really hard for me to ever to recommend to someone to really invest time in thinking about an exit strategy that time is much better spent just building your own business
0: mm-hmm. and we spoke about many different tips and and lessons that you had from from the two startups already what would be the the main one the the most important one that you would want to share in the end
1: um, probably to spend as much time as you can understanding your customer and the problem that you're solving for them mmm is the more time you can spend on that, like, that's the long-term asset that never goes away.
0: So, so totally calling them and asking them about their experiences. Oh yeah,
1: taking them out for, like, it doesn't, if you need to take them out for bottle service, mm-hmm. just so they talk to you and tell you what's going on with them and why what you do matters for mm-hmm. them, like, you need to do that. Like, however, whatever you need to do to make sure you understand the people who use your product and what really motivates them to keep using it, and, like, that's really important
0: us. I had an awesome, awesome time uh, speaking with you today. And for everyone that would want to know more about Doxend, it's just Doxend.com where they should look at.
1: Just go to Doxend.com. Uh, there's a free version of the product, so they can give it a try.
0: And by the way, was this website uh, available when you when you started the business, Doxend.com, or did you? Wait? Oh,
1: we can do another one on naming all together. But yes, uh, Doxend.com was available. Yep. Great name. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me on the show, Sylvia.
0: Thank you. Great pleasure.